ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of The Magic Tavern. My name is Kenny. I'm going to be one of your hosts here in the tavern. The goal is that we're going to sit down, have a nice frothing glass of nostalgia. We're going to talk a little bit about magic. But of course, to do that, we got to bring in our other co-host, our other drinking buddy, Hunter Hamilton. How are you, buddy? Slippy, slappy, swampy. There's blood in my coffee. Kenny, how are you, buddy? <laughs> that's how I open it. You know we're what? Here. Hell, hell yeah, dude. That's that's the intro that we need. That's the energy that we're looking for. We're that's back in a, the tavern. Right back on. In the tavern. It's back with it's it's us too. And we're gonna be talking about something uh, you know, it's for a bit of the newish people out there, Ken. What are we talking about today? We're gonna be talking about learning to play the game. Um, and I think that this is a, a relevant topic because first of all, if you've already, if you, if you're playing right now, then you started as a new player at some point. But I think another thing about this game is that there's lots of people that know about magic. They don't know how to get into magic and the people who do play love to have other people play with them. So I think this podcast is a bit to, is, is ideally to be a bit, um, of a look at how we got started and what we've learned about our time playing and how we would recommend someone else get started or how you might recommend the game to somebody else. Absolutely. Um, so Hunter, where were you when you first played Magic? So funny question that you ask, uh, Kenny. My time, I remember seeing little whispers of Magic. Um, you know, I would actually, I started off as a Yu-Gi-Oh player and I would be playing um, on my neighbor's front stoop, literally just outside of his porch. And I think we just grabbed magic at the Smokin' Gift Shop in Stone Road Mall. Shout out to Guelph. I am familiar. I am familiar yeah. with the Smokin' Gift Shop in Guelph, That's specifically where... for magic cards. Absolutely. That's where I started out. And I remember grabbing like a pack of it. Um, at the time, I didn't know what the hell anything was. I remember seeing a Seder at one point, and I remember seeing a forest card. And my reaction to seeing a forest card, I thought to myself, well, this does nothing. It's literally just a fucking tree. Yeah, what the heck is this? this what is what am I supposed to play with a tree? Yeah, I thought, why, why is there just a picture of a tree on a card? And I, and, and I thought magic was dumb. I honestly did not find it appealing to me at all because I thought forests, I don't want to learn about geography. I want to be swinging with monsters and uh, dueling my friends like Joey Wheeler. <laughs> like Joey, when, when, the, when the context is Yu-Gi-Oh and you've got gigantic mechanical dragons and, and wizards and stuff, I, I guess swapping to a, a basic forest uh, is going to be a little jarring. There's going to be a little, little bit of a, yeah. why would I do this? I didn't know that about you, Hunter. I didn't know that you started as a Yu-Gi-Oh player, actually. Yeah, little little barrier for entry. And I had this old uh, blue binder where I collected every card under the sun. It used to be hockey cards. I had um, Digimon cards at one point. I had Harry Potter cards, uh, Yu-Gi-Oh. And then I think I just put those magic cards and I shelved them and I put them away. I remember that binder. Yes, I, you I do. think I think I've actually seen that binder, dude. I think uh, I think when you and I uh, were first meeting, getting into the game, um, I was over at your place once and I saw that binder, and it and still had like magic cards and like Yu-Gi-Oh and Pokemon and stuff. Well, it's funny, Kenny. I don't know where that binder is now. I have no idea where that binder is now. Um, and there was some kind of I don't know sentimental pieces. It's probably in the jargon and smorgasbord of storage in my uh basement but now 
uh, how I got into the game was through uh, one of my dear friends, Joaquin, who he reintroduced the game to me when I was probably much older in high school, playing at Stone Road Mall. And of course, reintroduced, our... sorry, reintroduced, sorry, meaning yeah. that your first introduction to the game was technically seeing the Seder and the forest at yes. Smoke and Gift Shop and thinking that it was lame. So this yeah. is many years later. And this is, is many, many you? years, many, gotcha. many years later, Born of the Gods, as I discussed in our first pilot episode. Uh, and slowly I got to know, uh, you know, the mechanics, playing the game and so forth to which probably blossomed into my love of the game now. How about yourself? Hunter, if I were to put you on the spot here, okay. if I were to put you on the spot here, so you said born of the gods, huh? Born of the gods. Do you, do you, do you remember that set at all? Do you remember born of the gods at all? Um, very vaguely. Uh, I couldn't really tell you. I just remember seeing the picture and it's a satyr like doing a humping pose. Yes. Like and he's yeah. like, this. he's given like a grin. Um, because I remember uh, my friend McKean saying, Hunter, buy a fat pack. And we'll get into that later of getting started in the game and perhaps. Yeah, which products mistake. to buy. But um, that was my introduction. I remember cards like Snake of the Golden Grove. Uh, I don't know. For some reason, it's probably not the same set. Orcish Lumberjack. I remember that card. Orcish um, Lumberjack. Yeah. It's what a is that card? Card. Yeah, I think it's like it's one mountain, and then if you sacrifice one forest, it gives you three mountains, and it's like a giant. It's a. It's a. It's a. Oh my god! It's an orc holding a giant axe like Paul Bunyan. Oh my god, yeah, there it is. Yeah, yeah. There it I is. I remember like that. Oh, I, I had to I had to look it up to find it, but yeah, there it is. I remember, yeah, so Snake of the Golden Grove, stuff like that, like some Cyclopses. There were a lot of Cyclopses. In fact, yes, big when, Theros vibes. Yeah, so maybe in the Theros Born of the Gods era. In fact, I was watching um a lot of magic creators, and the first mm -hmm. one that I ever saw before I knew any of more of the bigger guys was Geek and Sundry's Spellslingers, hosted by Day9. He usually covers the E3 PC show. And he was a great host, but he also drafts all the time. And so he was playing with kind of high-profile nerdish people before, I guess, like, nerd was this hip, cool term. Uh, so we saw, like, Grant Umahara, he was playing Magic. Grant uh, Umahara played Magic? One yeah, of the Mythbusters? Man. Absolutely. That was the first episode I watched was with Grant Umahara oh, playing man. Magic on Spellslingers. Wizards and of the Coast must have been super excited to see Grant Umahara on board. Ah, oh, what a cool dude. Well, And this was like a high-profile production, so I'm learning about haste. I'm learning about uh, all the terms. The Wee Scott Vargas is on it. And yep. when you look at the show now, it's kind of like very basic, but those were the building blocks for me kind of learning the game the keywords of the game and so forth gotcha so you were so you had you had seen the cards back in your Yu-Gi-Oh days and then you were properly introduced by your friend Joaquin That's and then it. you kind of took that interest to the internet and you started finding content creators and you kind of started absorbing that yeah cool. that's it and then of course uh uh history brings us here to where I've met you and we're doing this now all and, these years and, later all these years later, but still playing Magic all the same. Still got a healthy love for the game. How about yourself? So I learned to play back at summer camp. We we touched on this a little earlier. 
um, in our in our first episode, in the intro episode. But we were kind of scattered all over the place. We were we were doing our best to try to give listeners a quick idea of like who we were as people. I do want to dive into this though because I do think yeah. it's important that like when I first started playing Magic in 2013 at summer camp, um, I really didn't want to learn at first. Because okay. until I learned to play Magic the Gathering, my impression of tabletop games was that they were miserable. My my impression of tabletop games was based off of games like Monopoly, you know, which I've got a whole rant for. But uh, the long and short of it is that I don't like that game. I think it's notoriously fun to win and absolutely miserable to lose, meaning that 75% of every game of Monopoly ends with people being dissatisfied. But anyway, Hates I Monopoly, know folks. Pardon? Hates Monopoly, folks. That's true. That's true. You heard it here. Um, seething hatred for Monopoly. But um, I knew that everyone at camp was playing it. All of the camp counselors were playing it, and I really wanted to play it, um, but I was really nervous about it. Um, and I remember sitting in um, the dining hall at my summer camp um, watching guys play the game. And I remember thinking I could, I could potentially understand this. I could, I could potentially wrap my mind around it. Um, and uh, I did what a lot of new players do, which is that I started using other people's decks and I was kind of introduced to it and it seemed interesting. And uh, when I had my day off, when I could uh, go into town, I went and I bought my first ever magic gathering product, the deck builders toolkit, um, which given that it was 2013, it was the, the core set 2014 um, uh, deck builders toolkit that I bought. And I remember pulling my first ever mythic rare and a Johnny Planeswalker. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I built the best deck that I could out of the cards that I had. Um, and we played all summer long. Magic at summer camp was perfect because it was so easy um, and it was easy and approachable in the way that most other games were just flat out, not, uh, not um, compatible with the lifestyle of being at summer camp at summer camp. You've got grime and dirt everywhere and uh, magic, the gathering cards on the other hand, all you need to do is unroll a towel you can play on anything. You can sit down oh, in the sand. Okay, so that's and you how could, you were doing it. You could pull out a deck and you could shuffle up and you could play. Um, and uh, I learned as a camp counselor. And so I played with the other camp counselors. I guess I thought that you had sleeves. I was like, do you have sleeves at this point? He's playing on a towel. Oh. That makes a ton of sense. <laughs> oh, and Hunter, that will, and that's another, I love looking back at that and I love, thinking about how no we didn't we didn't play with sleeves we didn't we didn't play with sleeves we didn't play with play mats we and 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 we joked about the people that did it was funny <laughs> that we we got like super into it we we all started to really enjoy playing magic we were playing every night because as a camp counselor you played with other with your co-counselor and so right. once the kids in the cabin would fall asleep you couldn't play anything that required a whole lot of conversation, but outside on the patio, we could unroll the table, unroll a, 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 a towel and just play magic with each other. 
can you remember some of the decks that your co-counselors were playing? Because we've talked about a lot of maybe our decks and stuff. Like, what are the other counselors playing that you were like, holy shit, that's really cool? Mm -hmm. I think uh, there, there's one deck that springs to mind when you say that. Um, but before I get there, um, in general, no. I really don't okay. remember like any of the decks people played, but I do remember the cast of characters because we all basically started playing with the same product, with the, the core set 2014 product, which meant that we were all building decks from a relatively small pool of cards, meaning that we all got to know the cards really well and they were played amongst everyone's decks, right? And so when someone would play... Um, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of, of of iconic cards. The first one that comes to mind is Brindlebore. Yeah, yeah. Um, yep. one of my my first all time favorite cards. Uh, you know, it was this reoccurring character that would appear in all these different, you know, in everyone's decks. Um, so that felt really cool. The first deck I really, really remember, Hunter, was Slivers. Ooh, Slivers is the one that comes to mind. Yeah. So yeah. at summer camp, um you got uh, basically 48 hours off uh, during the two-week sessions that camp happened. And we were all getting really into magic, but none of us were at the point where we were looking to spend any kind of actual money on the game. But one of our co-counselors, he went out and he came back after having dropped $150 on Ooh. magic cards and he sleeved his deck it was a sleeved oh, sliver uh sleeve a sleeved sliver 60 card deck oh. and it blew everyone's minds <laughs> and the reason why that mattered because there was one other guy at camp who was an actual magic player before that summer you know we all kind of learned at the same time which made it a great environment for all of us being new players except for this one guy who brought his decks with him. And he oh, was like no. a competitive player hunter. He played in modern. Um, and so there were all of these jokes about how his decks were undefeatable, undefeatable. And we'd line up and we'd play our, our, our bogus little nothing <laughs> decks and he would wipe the floor with us. And we'd He's be like, like, thank you. May I have another? <laughs> He's like the Akuma uh, boss fight. I, I imagine this guy just has like, like he's got the shades on. He's got like the fucking, like, like baseball hat. Yeah, like, man. Hey, losers want to come beat me at the game, man. It's, so. I think the weirdest thing about thinking about that time all these years later is that in my mind, I still see him as such a cool dude. <laughs> He's still, he's still like to me. He was just, he was just the coolest guy, yeah. you know. And he he never really said much, but he had his like super powerful decks. And it was like, dude, would you play that deck, please? Would you play that deck, please? And he's like, sure, okay. Oh, and then he shit. would just just destroy everyone, you know. Just and we'd walk shop. back. We'd walk back to our cabins and we'd be like, okay, so I got to put in a bunch of cards that can deal with this. And I got to be better at destroying creatures and stuff. We had our own like mini Magic the Gathering sphere because the camp was on an island. So the cards that we oh, had access okay. to were only the cards that everyone else had. Right. And so when right. someone would go off on their day off and come back with new cards, new cards would enter the pool and oh. we'd all get like really excited and try to trade for them and everything. And, 
Um, it was like a, it was like a like a micro Magic the Gathering economy, basically. Um, DLC baby. Mm -hmm. I, so uh, I, I mentioned I mentioned Brindlebore, um, and I I would like to ask you, Hunter, what your what your favorite card um, was when you when you first got going. But um, let me let me tell the listeners a little bit about Brindlebore. So Brindlebore uh, is a, a common printed in in Core Set 2014, first set that uh, that I ever played. And Brindlebore is a three cost, cost two generic, a green. It is a boar, and it's a two two. So it's a three cost two two, and you can sacrifice it at any time and gain four life. And Hunter, let me tell you, man. This card was insane. This card <laughs> to us new players, Brindlebore, the card that is both a creature and life, it was insane. But the best part of it was the 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 flavor text, the little Please bit of text at it. the bottom. Hit the flavor text it. says, "Tell the cooks to prepare the fires for tonight we feast." And this in like it's so hard to summarize how effective that was for us because it was the marriage of flavor and function. You know, you've got this, you've got this boar creature that you can use, or you can just eat it. You could just eat the pig. Big you know, pig. like it says on the card, you can sacrifice the boar, you gain four life. We we could just make bacon. You know, it's a it's a three cost two two. But because it said tell the cooks to prepare the fires, you better believe, Hunter. That every day, the next morning, if one of us had played <laughs> and sacrificed a brindle boar, we in the mornings would, when getting our food from the the camp cooks, would let them know. By the way, I played brindle boar last night. <laughs> oh, but most of the time, the cooks would have been there playing magic with us. <laughs> wait, so wait, were the cooks playing magic with you, Hunter? Everyone That's played. That's even bro. better. Oh. Hunter, everyone played. That's everyone played better. magic. Oh, it was, so it like, was, yeah. For some reason, I imagine, like, you have it on your tray. You know, like, I, I remember working at a campus well, and you had, like, you, the plastic trays, and you just had Brindle Border and go, hey, guys, like the fires, boys, like the fires. Yeah, 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 yeah. Tell the cooks to prepare the fires. Hey, guys, prepare <laughs> the fires. Board. Brindlebore is on the field, you know. Brindlebore, and you can easily see like it's that it's that creature that you can definitely see like the apple in its mouth. It's like oh, yep, the feast is on, you know. Yep, absolutely iconic. You, you mentioned similar that um, I remember like you know you didn't have a lot of resources, I guess, playing the game, and I can empathize with that. Uh, to expand on the story. Um, slowly, you know, like uh, like if Wakian wasn't available to play because he was playing rugby, um, I would play. I was part of uh, the theater uh, program in my high school, and we would host a play. Um, usually, you know, one play for one semester, next play for like the fall semester, winter, but whatever. And uh, I started getting my drama club involved in magic, and I remember this uh, this one girl that I played with, we would always play at the mall. And it got to a point where we were pretty concise and like, I would acquire new cards. She would acquire new cards. I would acquire new cards, but we are just, we're just tweaking our own decks. And back in the day, of course I mentioned Selesnia. That's what I was playing with. Yeah. It was actually really good. It was a really good card back in the day. Um, or sorry, good deck back in the day. Um, but we didn't have counters. So we would usually, it's after rehearsal, we walk 
to Stone Road Mall. It doesn't matter. I think a lot of times it was the winter. We're walking in the cold, but we would get like McDonald's beforehand. And this sounds really kind of gross now, but we're like, you know, like the the paper from a McDouble. We're ripping parts of the wrapping paper from the McDouble, and I'm using that as a token. So by the time it's like, if I had like a green creature with like four tokens on it, that's four little slips of McDouble paper that I'm swinging with. So it looks like we're just pagans, like playing cards with garbage. I love um, that so much, dude. Humble beginnings, dude. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, like just yeah. playing the raw cards on the table, ripping up cheeseburger wrappers to use as tokens, man. That's 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 beautiful, dude. I um I brought magic with me back from summer camp to, to high school. Um, and I introduced uh my my friend group at the time then uh and they got super super into it too well let, let me ask you this you so you're done camp you think mm-hmm. to yourself this is the greatest game ever like where you kind of like i'm set correct okay correct okay. I just wanted to, We've i peaked. just want to get the timeline in place yeah well and 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 also he's on uh, the car ride home thinking about magic not only is magic a great game it's the only game i know how to play <laughs> You know, like, like I have this in-depth knowledge of this one particular game, but this game is very complicated. And so I'm very proud of the fact that I know very much. I still suck at Monopoly. Please don't ask me to play Monopoly, (laughs) but I absolutely could play magic with you. What's magic, you ask? Let me show you. Right. Right. And, And so I brought back that that passion for magic um with me back to high school and when i when i look back there there's kind of there's two different groups of magic players um that i developed in high school there was a group of guys that were playing they had they had already been playing magic the gathering and so i kind of tagged along with them but then there was my original kind of friend group that i brought magic into and we started playing together um and that was when theros started to come out we did our own draft. Um, one of the guys went out, bought a box of Theros, brought it back. Shit. Uh, you know what? Honestly, I don't even know if we were, uh, we weren't even skilled enough to do a draft at that point. I think what actually happened was he okay. went out and bought a box and then we just opened the packs together. Yeah. You yeah. know, oh, like we kind of, okay. we kind of sat in his living room and just opened packs and looked at cards and talked about cards and decks that we'd put them in and everything. Um, and this was, early in the stages of us building our kind of repertoire of 60 card decks. Um, This was when the format of 60 card was really kind of forged to me. Like what I was getting out of magic, what I was learning was kind of the foundation of it um, was born into that. Um, And it was that that I took with me to university. Um, And when I arrived in university and, you know, I had a bunch of guys that lived on the floor with me um, and were looking for something to, you know, bring us together. I said, well, hey, do you guys want me to teach you to play magic? And it took off like wildfire. They all got super into it because wow. I had these I had these 60 card decks that I developed with my high school friend group from a concept that I learned at summer camp. You know, like it's it's interesting how this all builds over time. Right. Open and of course, dialogue. Yeah. my my first recommendation to everybody at the time was the deck builders toolkit. 
Um, the deck builders toolkit for the listeners at home. Um, it's a, uh, it's a, a relatively small box and written in big, bold letters on the front says it includes 285 cards, which is a very specific, you know, number <laughs> dimension. And it, it says that each box contains 125 semi-randomized cards suitable for building several magic decks for 15 Four 15-card booster packs from uh, a variety of recent Magic the Gathering sets, 100 basic land cards to help you cast your spells, a deck builder's guide with tips uh, for building decks, a learn-to-play guide, and uh, a full-art reusable card storage box. <laughs> so it lists is its its own box. Uh, but you know what? They weren't wrong. The box was, very, was pretty high quality. Um... And uh, it became the deck box that I used everywhere. And it was the product that I recommended to everybody for getting into the game. And we'd build decks together. Um, I find it funny how you mentioned kind of seeing uh, like, like, you know, hearing about the story of like, it spread like wildfire to like people in high school. Same with like my theater group where it's like, you're seeing people play the game and then people go, Oh, what's that? And then once like you get, and then like, it just adds on and adds on. And I can relate that we brought that uh, to university. You mentioned a card also that um, I guess, you know, Brindlebore, and I actually have my, um, I'm going to throw a wrench in my current answer. It was a card called Chromanticore, okay? It's mm -hmm. really a flying spirit bestowed beast. It was all colors. Madness. But um, I'll take it back to the dual deck series, which we, I've talked about before. Go ahead. So just just before you, you jump into this, I would, so, so to, to cue up what's happening here. I described what what my favorite card was first getting into the game was Brindlebore. Yeah. This is your favorite card when you were first getting into the game, right? I have like the my card answer. you thought was super cool. Yeah, okay. this is the this is the answer. It's uh, it's Pelo it's Pelucranos World Theater. <gasps> that was the one for me. Oh, uh, Hunter, how did we not think about that when we were I talking know. about this podcast, dude? Exactly. When dude, we were I, prepping I, for this, how did we not talk about you and Pelucranos, man? Bad prep, man. And it was uh, it was the <laughs> promo art. <laughs> I'm just saying it. I'm, bad I'm, I'm prep, dude. Bad there, prep, there it dude. is. Bad, bad prep there on my is. part. Um, Pelucranos World Eater, but it was like the promo box. So it's not like kind of the goofy art where it's kind of like coming at you. This is like the side view, and I guess it reminded me from Hercules, like the Hydra there. Uh, oh, Lucanos, um, it's got this weird it's so it's four mana for a five five, it's a mythic rare. Uh, so a five five for four already kind of bonkers good. Badass, really good. Badass. In, in, the, in the timeline of 2014, yes, a five five for four mana was awesome. Now, power creep from then to today, cards are much more powerful now. That doesn't stick out nearly as much as it would today as it did back then. But back then, a four cost five five, huge deal. That sounds even weird to hear now that back in the day, that was considered like kind of bonkers good. Uh, it's got, and, and this is where the card didn't ever make sense to me because I didn't understand like the X cost. And for the listeners at home, it's one green mana and two X's for this thing called monstrosity. So if you pay this cost, when you see two X's, that means you have to pay two green mana, which counts as one counter. So you have to have a lot of ramp in this deck. Or if you're running, let's say, Pelucranos. Uh, when it becomes monstrous, uh, 
So if this creature isn't monstrous, put X plus one plus one counters on it, and it becomes monstrous. When it becomes monstrous, it deals X damage divided as you choose among any number of target creatures your opponents control. Each of those creatures deal damage equal to its power to Pelucranos. So I remember uh, friends playing this card at me and blowing up all my soldiers and then like not kind of understanding the text afterwards where they deal their damage to Pelucranos. Um, and I found that card very kind of confusing and I would be like calling McKean to be like, dude, how does this card work? I called him when he would be at work or something or playing rugby and I'd be like, dude, I don't know how this card actually works. Um, and eventually I had to get four copies of it because big monster Hydra killing things. Yes, please. The the mid-game, having to pause your opponent to call Joaquin to ask yeah. him about how a card works. Yeah, I mean, Pelucranos, the way that it's worded is is kind of confusing, especially for a new player. But uh, yes, absolutely. And, and, and I remember that too, Hunter. I remember your decks with Pelucranos in it. And I remember Pelucranos just feeling so powerful, so cool. You know, and and the ability monstrosity that it makes this four cost five five even bigger. And when it becomes bigger, it needs to rip apart other creatures. So effective. Pelucranos is a great answer. I a love that of, answer. Yeah, a lot of monstrosity cards, like a lot of kind of things getting bigger. I think that's what maybe why I loved Gruel so much. You know, mm -hmm. maybe that was the start of Gruel. I don't know. Hunter, Hunter, I'm just gonna point out. I'm just gonna yes, point sir. out here. You know, both you and my our our favorite cards were mono green. You know, that's interesting. That's interesting. We're Yo, thinking shout about out, you know, shout out. man. Maybe we should start a podcast together. That's crazy. Hey, maybe we should. Uh, do um, that. but yeah. So, um, I, I think that's, I think that's a lot of the context that we want. Um, moving forward to kind of our our origin story for getting into Magic the Gathering. Um, because at, at this point, what we've what the stories that we've told have led us up to the part that we've already covered, which is when we meet mm -hmm. in university. And when yeah. we meet in university, we both kind of got our own 60 card decks with a similar vibe to them. We're able to play them together. And then that afterwards is when we meet Riley, when we meet Thomas, we bring them into the format, we start playing with them. I wish I could just go back in time it sounds really stupid but i wish i could just go back in time and see those moments happen like okay you like magic well bam that was, yeah like, you know, seeing your friends like that was the first time you played and then you just go oh yeah and oh and it, if it goes was, on from there if there was any way to like really know exactly when that light bulb goes off yeah. you know i do i remember with riley especially i remember where i was sitting in um or, or no, 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 no. This was, this was after Riley's first purchase. Riley had gone out and he had spent money on magic cards. And that was so exciting. It was like, oh, he's doing it. And he he's bought the Zendikar it. versus Eldrazi um, decks. And we sat down and we played them together. But this time, these were his decks. He wasn't borrowing mine. We were playing with his decks. And so it was just so exciting to see them both take off and, and do um, cool deck stuff. You know what's so, funny is, or I just wanted to add on there that when you were like kind of maybe having a more a focus like with Riley uh, and amongst other uh, of our mutual friends, I was playing with the games club people 
upstairs in the university center yes. before the renovations. So like carpeted floors, very kind of cozy atmosphere. And I didn't really know anyone. I think we just talked. I would we would talk. I think I would talk to you about magic in like a brief passing. But I we weren't playing together as much yet. Where I was playing with the games club people. And later on in the episode, we'll discuss play groups and all that. But uh, mm -hmm. that was just my exposure. Go ahead. Yeah. No. I I um I do want to talk a lot more about that play group. Um, specifically the games club group. Um, but, uh, I, uh, one thing that, that Hunter and I kind of see as the catalyst for this episode, um, is what products should people purchase to get into magic? Um, because back when I first got started, the deck builders toolkit was the easy and kind of only answer, you yeah. know, you could buy a booster box. Um, you could, I, like, I don't even know if they were selling, many pre-made decks at that point. I think there were probably some on the shelves that you could buy, but often at game stores, the one that you see are the ones left over after right. the best ones have been picked off the shelf already. So it's right. hard to know um, which deck is a good purchase or not. Um, and now, interestingly, they don't make the deck builders toolkit anymore. Um, you, it, it, it as a product doesn't exist. So then the question, of course, needs to be asked, Hunter, what do we recommend um, as the product for beginning players to get into the game with? My, my answer to that question is jumpstart. Goaded. I think you're right. Jumpstart, I think, is the perfect introduction. This is kind of the elephant in the room of talking about... Uh, Perhaps this is your best intro set, quote unquote, that if you are wanting to get into the game, the benefit of Jumpstart, and Kenny, you can correct me if I'm wrong here. Uh, you get a couple of packs and you get two packs, okay? You yep. meld these two packs together yep, and that creates your deck. And it's mm -hmm. usually a, 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 a revolving around two kindred. Um, and a selection of spells and cards. So you're getting to know the colors. You're getting to know perhaps the terms of like what's haste, what's a vigilance. Um, always good to have someone kind of experienced with you. But um, I would say that's your best intro to the game because you already have your playing experience from just two packs rather than going and buying out a lot of product. Absolutely. I think Magic the Gathering... One of the one of the most challenging things about getting into the game is that the most knowledge base required is for the decisions you have to make right at the very beginning. Oh, you God. can't you can't start playing the game until you have a deck. But to have a deck, you need an advanced knowledge of how to build one. Or if you're provided a deck, you need to know what that deck does so that way you know how to play it, right? So that requires a whole lot of knowledge before you can even start playing. The other thing that you need um, is uh, you need to know when to keep a hand and stuff like that, which is also very complicated. Um, and well, I find that it's one of those things where you can you can watch videos of people playing the game, but I for myself know that until I'm the one holding the cards, very visual learner, when I'm the one holding the cards and kind of walking through the experience, I'm more focused and I'm more paying attention to what's going on in the game versus if I'm just staring watching a video of main phase that, 
attack now, block, second main phase. That's already too much technical jargon to yep. wear. That's like the barrier for entry, combined with the fact that what Kenny said is correct. Um, immediately intimidated with having to make that financial uh, investment to start playing the game. And you can imagine how burned you would feel if you bought a deck that you thought was cool and then it ends up not being cool. So anyway, let's talk about Jumpstart and how it works. So Jumpstart, Jumpstart the way that Jumpstart is designed um, is different than your typical booster pack. So you can buy a pack of Jumpstart for, you know, seven, eight bucks Canadian at most game stores. A lot of packs are around seven to eight bucks Canadian. Um, but these packs are designed differently. The way that these packs work um, is each pack kind of has a theme in mind. So this one might be dog themed. This one might be devil themed. This one might be about zombies. This one might be literally titled going back to school. You know, like each of these, these uh, packs contain a small uh, set of 20 cards. And those, the, yeah, the 20 cards in these booster packs have basic lands in them, a dual land in them, and then the actual sorceries, instants, creatures that make the deck work. The magic here, pardon the pun, uh -huh. is, when, is when you shuffle together two different packs. You can open up a dog jumpstart pack you can shuffle it together with your devil themed jumpstart pack and just like that you've got a 40 card deck that you can play with this is inspired because what this says to players is that for the price of two booster packs you're going to build a deck right on the spot and you're ready to go shuffle ready it up go. and this teaches a lot of really important, valuable lessons to new players. It teaches them how deck building kind of works. You know that at the end of the day, if a deck contains this number of lands, this number of creatures, this number of spells, the deck will fundamentally work, even if they're completely different ideas. I've got birds and I've got going back to school, but they work together. On top of that, you have a balanced play game where the power levels are not outrageous. Like Kenny was saying that if like one of those leaders that his decks are are destroying you, that maybe, you know, if you're losing like a billion times and you're not being sad about it, eventually you could just feel that, well, I'm losing because this guy has more, quote unquote, money than I do. And with a jumpstart, it's the perfect balance game where the games are close. Like even to this day, me and Kenny amongst with maybe other friends that are interested in the game or something like that, we have played Jumpstart with a close game, and you could also open Chase uh, Rares and Mythics, um, as we'll talk about probably later on. Yeah, I the 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 pay to win aspect of Magic um, is important and worth mm. talking about. That we're we're discussing a collecting a a, a a collecting card game, and that means that game pieces are rarer and harder to find than others. We talked about that in the Stonks episode, right? But that means that someone well-invested in the game is going to have more efficient, more powerful cards than someone brand new, right? Jumpstart solves that power imbalance because it says, listen, I don't care how invested you are as a player. You need two packs. Shuffle them together. That's your deck. And it's the same thing with the new player. Two packs, shuffle them together. That's your deck. And the lessons that you learn about how decks work, 
Another thing that I think is, is important to mention here is that when you are new to the game, one of the things you hear a lot about is, well, Magic the Gathering has, you know, 25,000 unique cards. It can be really intimidating as a new player to feel like you need to learn those cards. You need to get familiar with those cards. And indeed, when you're learning to play Magic the Gathering, so much of getting to learn this game is saying, oh, wait, can I read that card? Yes. Okay, wait, can I see that card? Okay, wait, what does that do? Right? Now, what Jumpstart does is rather than giving you a deck of 60 cards, or in Commander's case, a deck of 100 cards, uh, Jumpstart says, here's a deck of 40. And you can get to know the 40 cards in your deck pretty quickly. You can start to develop a relationship with those cards pretty quickly. Because um, it's just there's just not as much content. that There's not as much of a body of stuff that you need to learn about. So, um, go ahead, Hunter. I, I actually thought about this of, you know, and maybe this could be another episode also of the fact of playing Magic, physically sitting down and playing the game. Let's say I'm playing like Devils and Dogs, a deck like that, and I see Kenny's playing, you know, maybe it's Pirates for some crazy reason, like Pirates and Merfolk. And maybe that inspires yourself, your new player, and you think to yourself, oh man, that's, a, that's an archetype? I can make that an archetype. And ha having that ability to see your opponent's cards, many of a time uh, where I've seen Kenny's, uh, Kenny's decks um, or my other friend's decks, that alone has inspired me to build decks of, wow, that archetype looks really cool. So you kind of get to know your play style by either playing with other decks, even playing against other people in Jumpstart, which I think is also just the phenomenality of Magic in general. Right. So I, I think the takeaway from this segment here is that if you're looking to introduce someone to Magic the Gathering, the Magic Tavern officially, officially endorses Jumpstart as the de facto product for you to use as your tool for introducing magic players, uh, introducing players to magic gathering. Kenny, let me put you on the spot here. How Please. many, how many times have you introduced jumpstart to people? And what do you find the takeaways from those experiences are you grab a box of jumpstart, you're ready to go. How has that gone for you? Like, what is it? What are the play experiences like seeing that happen in real time? I'm so glad that you asked Hunter. So, um, uh, what, what I'll do is if someone wants to learn magic, the gathering, I'll say, great. I'll bring over some jumpstart packs. So I, as a, an enfranchised player, I have a box of jumpstart that's open on my shelf over there and I don't open it myself. It's it. Well, uh, sorry. I don't open them myself. I save them for bringing over. And then I just give the packs to people. So oh, it's, it's, awesome. it's also like, and, and I, this is maybe not as realistic for other people, but for me, I don't mind paying 14, 15 bucks for someone to be able to open up their first set of cards, shuffle them together and then keep it. Because yeah. that's another thing is that when you buy those packs, you get to keep it. That's your deck. Um, and that's really cool for new players. You know, to immediately jump into the ownership aspect of like, this is my deck. I'm not playing somebody else's deck. This is my deck. Um, so when I introduced um, a bunch of people that I worked with, um, 
uh, a bunch of people at the job that I worked to Magic the Gathering, I used Jumpstart as that method. Um, they were uh, we we played a lot of sixty card together. They they were introduced um, also through playing all of my sixty card decks because I have eight of them. So we played a lot with those. But then when they wanted to like kind of get more involved, I gave them Jumpstart packs. We shuffled them together and we played like that. And it was great. Oh man! And the, how are the games? Were they close? Yeah, yeah. the 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 games are tight. They're longer, um, just because it's a lower power level. Um, but that is also really nice. Yeah. You forget sometimes how refined and fast paced Magic: The Gathering is when you play with decks that you have been working on and refining for literally years. Yes. Stepping back and playing with a brand new deck that isn't refined, that's rough around the edges, is really nice, <laughs> honestly. Bro, if it's like a 3-4 Vigilance Flyer, that might be the equalizer. That might be the game right there. Exactly. Every Uncommon. game piece. Every game piece has the potential to be, you know, the new Brindlebore for somebody. Right? <laughs> Board. Can we talk about um and like the underrated rares from the set? Like Savala's in Jumpstart. Shout out to Savala. Another green yes. creature is yep. pirated, is pirated copy from Jumpstart as well. Pirated copy was from Jumpstart 2022. So they've, oh, they've done yes, son of a bitch. they've oh. they've done a bunch of different Jumpstarts um now because there was a little there was a period of time Wizards of the Coast has stopped doing it now, but they used to release a new Jumpstart with every uh, main release. So okay. Brothers War, when it came out, had Brothers War-themed Jumpstart booster packs. And um, Eldraine had Eldraine-themed uh, Jumpstart booster packs. Um, and uh, that, that was popular for a while. I don't think it was... or No, sorry. It wasn't very popular, which is why I think they got canceled. Um, okay. Because uh, I think they found that there wasn't enough interest in those and players when they had the choice of buying jumpstart packs preferred to buy classic jumpstart the original jumpstart 2020 or the new jumpstart 2022 another thing that jumpstart did really well was that they introduced powerful reprints into it and new cards so selvala like you mentioned before a very powerful card was reprinted into Jumpstart 2022, meaning that myself as an enfranchised player, I could open up a pack of Jumpstart and I could get a really valuable card. It's a we're win. talking, we're talking Ristic Study, dude. We're talking Crater Ooh. Hoof Behemoth. Oh, uh, we're what? talking Bruvac was an original. Bruvac was was oh, originally printed um, in Jumpstart 2020. Allosaurus Shepherd, like expensive, powerful cards. Um, printed for the first time in Jumpstart, which gave a chase aspect to the packs as well, which is really cool. They did everything right with that set. I love Jumpstart. It's a great product. Use the product to introduce new players. I need I to say. hear because I did not know that there were like specific set Jumpstarts. And that's a shame, honestly, that that product is no more because I don't know if they have like a Kamigawa Jumpstart or like a Khan's Jumpstart of maybe how maybe fired up I'd be. That'd be pretty cool just to like quote unquote draft with, like a mock draft with. So I, think I feel like Kamigawa, Kamigawa Neon Dynasty uh, probably had um, Dynasty. 
ha- probably had uh, their own jumpstart packs. I'm just googling it right now, but I think that was in an era when that would have that would have happened. Well, let's um, while you're doing that, and we'll look please, that up later. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, it's all good. Um, feel free. Uh, but I, I, I guess on that topic of maybe products, and I think you're right. Now, just thinking about it now, Jumpstart is per- the perfect play experience to jump off from. Uh, haha, said jump of the fucking night name. Um, nailed perhaps, it. You nailed it. Perhaps, um, at least for my bang for my buck when I was starting, I would go actually one of the two of either the dual deck series, which I think they might have discontinued that. I'm not actually sure, Kenny, if they have. We we don't know. We don't yeah, know. Yeah, that's they, like we, an enigma, they isn't it? They haven't put out a dual deck in a long time. Well, um, back, I don't yeah. know if they've canceled them, but yeah, keep going. Well, back in the day, that's where um, you could grab a product, and I remember them seeing at Target or even Zellers or Walmart where it came with, you know, it'd be like maybe craft versus invention or uh, arcane versus aggression. And so you'd have kind of this blingy foil on the front, and that would be kind of maybe your quote-unquote general for the deck. And you could see like the archetype, the archetype that the deck was. So, for example, going back to that Spellslinger show, they had they were playing with um, like quickness and trickery versus uh, like beefcake green. So you had um, I remember Consecrated Sphinx was a huge card back in the day, huge um, versus you know Polychronos at that time. And so you could go and you could see these different archetypes. I would recommend that product, but go ahead, Ken, what are you going to say? Yeah, Hunter, you, you, your dual deck, Pelucranos, was from yes. Heroes versus Monsters, I think. Absolutely. From Theros, you know? And so you, you would have gotten like Sun Titan as yep. the face of the, the white deck and Pelucranos as the face of the green deck. And those two decks would come together in one product um, called the dual decks. Um it was a, it was it was a cool product for new players. Um, so you could get well, you could get that that play experience right out of the box. So it's like, hey, do you want to play heroes? Do you want to play monsters? I think they both came in like these little um, little boxes. So you could like you know, one friend takes a deck, and your play experience mm-hmm. is right there, which um, I was very fond of. But perhaps the other one, and how I started when um, I got back into the game, quote unquote is I bought a fat pack. Now, what's in a fat pack? Um, It is, I believe, 12 packs that you get in this kind of self-contained box, this decorative box with maybe a magic character on the side of it. It also includes a spin-down die, so you have your 20 life right there. Not to mention lands of all colors is also included. And again, back in the day, they had like this little um, three... uh, it had basically the card catalog in the fat pack. The so, coolest cards back in the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So well, you could basically scroll through every single page and see. Um, that's how I found out what Chromanticore was or what were the chase rares of the set because it included this little thing. And I thought fat packs were pretty bonkers good back in the day. Yeah, so those fat packs, I, I, I remember buying my sets of fat packs as well. They've now been um, rebranded. They're called bundles now. Okay. Um, and uh, while the, the the product contents have shifted, the idea behind the product remains the same, that you get a you get a really nice card storage box. You get a set of packs. I think these days 
Um, your average bundle contains eight set booster packs. Okay. Um, although that will change. Actually, that's not even true anymore because moving now, they're getting rid of set boosters and draft that's boosters. Right. They're that's introducing right. play boosters. So I think moving forward, bundles will likely have eight play boosters as well as a set of lands, as well as a spin down dice, like you mentioned, Hunter. The difference between a spin down die and a regular die um, is that this is a 20 sided die. But unlike a regular D20, which has randomized numbers, spin down die have their oh, numbers yes. going uh, uh, in order. So that way you can use the die as a tool for showing your life total. Um, so yeah, bundles are bundles are a great pick. Um, I would recommend them if you like the set. If the, yes, if the set yes. looks like it has a cool theme, um, go ahead and buy it. Um, but it depends on how you as a player want to interact with opening product versus buying singles. You know? That's actually a really good and thing to mention. Yeah, the set opening, matters at that point. Opening packs um, should never be done expecting financial value. Um, you should be opening the packs because you like the set that they come from and because you could probably use the cards that you open. So... Um, bundles are great, but another thing that magic players, uh, need these days, you're going to get a lot of weird looks. If you try to show up with just a, a stack of, of regular looking magic cards, you need sleeves for them. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I've had people ask me how I laminate my cards before. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a pretty thriving market, um, in, uh, in protection for your luxury cardboard. Uh, Hunter, take it away. Tell us a little bit about sleeves. Absolutely. Well, you know, there's different kinds. Um, usually, I remember my first sleeves, they were like the MTG exclusive ones where the backing was kind of the color wheel. And I remembered I picked those sleeves because I thought they just looked cool. But it's funny that a lot of time and a lot of wear, if you're constantly playing games, is going to cause problems to where those cards, um, those sleeves rather, they are completely disintegrated where the back would be peeling. And that was the deck with yep. the Phyrexian Dreadnoughts that we talked about on Stonks. Oh my um, God. Bang for the still buck. Still not over that. Still not over. A bang for the buck though, that um, I would say is the most successful, arguably Kenny, is Dragon Shield. Dragon Absolutely. Shield, matte sleeves. You could also get glossy. The cool thing about Dragon Shields is that, you know, They've proven to be tough and they can stand kind of the test of time. You can get a hundred sleeves, so you can easily get some drafting sleeves or a 60 card deck, even a commander deck with two left over, of course. So let's say you had a broken sleeve or something happened where it got folded. Um, you can easily have another one. I really enjoy that they have the art sleeves. So, for example, I have the Ur Dragon deck, I wanted dragon sleeves. I go out to 401 Games in Toronto. I find a dragon back that looks appealing to me. And now all my uh, dragons are like, they've got this back of this colorful dragon on the back. And you can almost get any kind of cool designs where you'll have artists um, do their own kind of take. I really also like, they're like this old, um, I want to say an Amish woman with a dragon. <laughs> I should say Amish. I'm sorry. Um, it's this old woman and like a dragon is like sitting on her like a puppy. And I think, and I, and I love that kind of art style as well. So dragon shields, at least for myself, would be the bang for your buck. How do you feel? Absolutely. About 
Uh, Dragon Shields are what you're going to see at almost every game store. Dragon Shields, yeah. Dragon Shields are the popular choice, but that's for a reason. Dragon Shields have a, a really high quality product. Um, when you're talking about uh, card sleeves, um, you know these these are things that you want to wear out before your physical cards do, right? And so the shuffle feel, meaning how they yeah. feel to move around to manipulate the cards, is good. Um, you can get them glossy, you can get them matte, you can get them with art finishes, like you said, Hunter. Um, Dragon Shield has uh, really cracked the code on delivering a high-quality, reliable product. Um, and so if you're looking to show up and play some magic, uh, you got to get yourself some sleeves, okay? But you're also going to need... Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, Hunter. Oh, I was going to say, well, the versatility, even thinking about of like, they've got the perfect fits. I think Dragon Shield makes those as well. There's some people that double sleeve their cards. Um, I'm not really a maniac like that, but let's say you have a very blingy piece, perhaps a secret layer example, perhaps the wormhole secret layer. Shout out to both of us, Kenny, for, uh, hmm. for helping me buy that. Um, Hell perhaps, yeah. Perhaps you want to double sleeve some important things. Dragon Shield has that versatility where they do that as well. I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. No, no, it, it, it's worth saying. So we got Dragon Shields, we got Jumpstart. Another product um, that, uh, that, that players probably want to make sure that they have is dice. Dice are really important uh, because in the game of Magic the Gathering, there's lots of things that are counters and tokens and stuff like that. We're going to do some ASMR for you. So, Kenny, if you could please uh, make the iconic noise with this said item. You hear that, people? ASMR on the Magic Tavern. That is pessimized. <laughs> <laughs> Are we, we, yeah, yeah. Go we'll ahead. hear how that goes when we listen back to the recording, and we'll see if that was uh, if that was any fun for anyone to listen to. You just hear nothing. That's what it is. Nothing. Just yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, it just didn't <laughs> come through at all. Um, arguably one of the most, I would say, important pieces of equipment that you can get the bang for your buck for your money. Uh, a square, rectangular, a self-contained dice block with, I'm not going to say how many I think that are in that. I think Kenny has the exact number of dice in that box. You know what? 36, I'm like? baby. 36, 36 dice. And it, it, sounds, it sounds crazy because it kind of is. 36 yeah. dice is a lot of dice. Um... But I'll tell you, folks, a small box of Chessex dice, and you are ready for anything. Yes. You are ready for anything. There is nothing that a game of Magic can throw at you that you are not well prepared for with a box of 36 Chessex dice. And now, Chessex dice are really quite... They're, they're, they're small, but they're not super small. They're very legible, um, and there's tons of different color options. Um, and I think you can get a box of Chessex dice for like 10, 15 bucks. And Easy. these dice, these are, this is not, you know, a pack of magic cards. This is something that you will use for pretty much every deck forever throughout your Magic the Gathering career. So it's absolutely worth your time, worth your money to get yourself a box of Chessex dice to have ready to go. Making tokens, pumping up creatures, even using them as creatures, you'll be... Uh, quite surprised by either the number that you burn through or how big creatures can get 
with just this dice set alone. I still have my pink and black Chessex dice. I think when I bought them first year university. So shout out to just having an old relic. The thing that um, a funny note that you'll uh, that I, I will add to the show is that if you lose one of these dice, because it's, you know, maybe the size of a marble, you will be oh, no. stressed out because all of the dice are basically like there's no filling gaps but i remember you know if you, if it goes all over the floor under your bed it will haunt your dreams forever go all over the floor hunter when would dice go all over the floor that's crazy oh, you know maybe you have that urge to flip it over and have a complete uh dice tower maybe that's oh my happening. god would you like to okay little, uh, thanks know? hunter yeah thanks for bringing that up okay all right so hunter is referring to a uh, a habit that myself and many Magic the Gathering players have that when you many? know you're playing when when you've got your box of Chessex dice, um, you've got a nice clean stack of 36 dice. So you can you can take that box of dice and you can flip it over in one smooth move, and you can get a stack of 36 uh, dice neatly stacked on top of each other. The problem is that if you don't move fast enough, you will spill your your dice I all over the table ASMR. okay this is exactly what happened to me at my first ever magic <laughs> the gathering event um except don't feel too bad for me listeners this was all self-inflicted basically i showed up to a friday night magic event with uh, my high school friends at the time and i showed up with a deck that was really really not good see no one had really talked to me about the fact that if I was going to a competitive event, I needed to have a deck that could stand up in a competitive environment. The deck that I had was still based off of the decks that we were playing at camp. Um, oh, so this no. was not ready. This was not ready for the world of actual Magic the Gathering players. Um, and I was knocked out immediately in the first round. <laughs> so this meant that when I was kicked out of when I when I was when I was knocked out pretty much immediately, my friends were still playing. So I was standing around in the basement of this game store um, where we were all playing and I was kind of wandering around and I see my buddies playing a game. So I walk up to his game and I'm kind of watching them play with their cards and I notice his box of Chessex dice. And his box of Chessex dice is just sitting there open. So I'm like, okay, I'll and I <laughs> Hunter, oh. <laughs> I I reach over and I grab my buddy's box of Chessex dice and I go to flip it over, oh. intending intending to stack the dice. But what really happens is I just absolutely catapult all of the dice. <laughs> oh, that all over all over the table, the dice cascade all over the floor, oh. and my buddy looks up at me. His game stops. He and his opponent, they both just look up at me. Who, you know, to my buddy's opponent is just a guy that walked up to the table and threw his dice all over the place. They look up at me and my buddy looks at me and goes, Kenny, what the hell, man? And I look at him and I'm I'm holding the empty box of Chessex dice in my hand like, oh no. And I look up. Not only has that game stopped, all of the games around them have stopped. Oh, the dear, whole Kenny. game tournament has come to a halt and everyone is staring at me and they're wondering what the hell I was doing. 
And I just kind of get down on my hands and knees. I start picking up Chessex dice. <laughs> I never went back to another game tournament at that store. <laughs> oh no! Oh, I never, I you. never. That was the very night that I decided. You know what? I don't think I like Magic: The Gathering for its competitive <laughs> element. <laughs> I don't want to talk about the Chessex dice thing uh, anymore. Oh, yeah. You know, it was, oh, uh, yeah. it was, uh, it was a moment. It was a moment. And uh, what I would recommend to people is, uh, you know, feel free to flip your own Chessex dice. Don't flip anyone else's. You know what I want to do with my next kind of dice project? Did I ever tell you this? What's What dice project? What are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, so I want to get, le I'm legitimately serious. Um, so Kenny has like this genie bag filled with dice that him and his uh, lovely partner have. And me being inspired by that, I want to get a Crown Royal purple bag. It has to be the Crown Royal purple bag. And <laughs> I have to finish the Crown Royal. And then I'm allowed to, to buy just random packs of dice, toss them in that bag. And so I'll have like this traveling kind of like, you want to buy some dice? Like I'll have this thing. And that's what I want as like my big dice set. I have my Chessex set, but you know what? I want like a big dice bag. I want to be like a dice blingy. You want to be I a dice goblin hunter. I want to be a dice goblin. Uh, dice yeah. yeah. What you're describing is a dice goblin. And, uh, I don't even know my if partner know Marisa happily identifies as one. She <laughs> loves collecting dice. Dice um, is having sick. a big, having, having a new set of dice is always very exciting for her. Well, but anyway, yeah, go ahead. Let's let's jump back on topic here because we're we're nearing our conclusion here. We're we're nearing the end of 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 what we've come here to say. I think that the final bit here is let's give some advice. Let's yes. give some advice to new players. Let's let's tell some people some of the things that we've learned um, that we think would be valuable for someone teaching someone else to play magic. Mm. Um, I'll kick it off. I think. Uh, I think the first thing that's uh, worth passing along is that life is a resource. And a mistake that a lot of new players make is thinking that, you know, I lose the game when I go from 20 life to zero life. So life is the most precious resource. But in reality, life can be used for a lot of things. And often uh, you as the player are faced with the option of either taking direct damage and losing life or blocking with creatures and sacrificing your creatures. More often than not, the correct decision is to take the damage because you want those creatures for value later on. And a mistake I think a lot of newer players make um, is thinking that protecting their life total, keeping their life total high is important because another thing about magic the gathering is that your life total doesn't dictate if you're winning or losing you could have five life and still very much be winning the game against someone with 15 right life total is not what decides a winning player um it is uh merely something that prevents you in the one versus zero life scenario right like that's that's the only time that life total really matters so that would be my first piece of advice I'll say one. Um, this is one of mine. You know, um, in Magic, you're allowed to have four copies of a card. And my advice to you would be think about either are you being too greedy or maybe too frugal? And this can go both ways. For example, you love a card so much, okay? But perhaps it's not, it's not doing its job. Maybe you're running out of mana. Maybe you only have you have 
enough mana for one to two copies, or it's just not getting it done. Compromise being that you can maybe, maybe you only need two copies of a card, you know? Maybe you only need two Galta instead of four Galta. Yeah. Maybe, you know, you don't have to go insane. Even, you know, I've seen a lot of diversifying decks of, you know, if this card is really good, well, how can you maybe add additional to that deck? So let's say if I'm talking Gruel especially, you have maybe like a giant bear or something, you throw Titanic Strength on it or Giant's Growth, well, bam, it's swinging in for eight damage rather than, so that's a cheaper spell in terms of maybe you're trying to get like four copies of like a five mana creature but if you're playing questing beast four of that's okay that's allowed yeah that yeah yeah i was okay all right all um, right all, all right. i'm going to say all i'm going to say is that that is my favorite card then it's savage knuckle blade questing beast savage questing beast over savage knuckle blade no way yeah so like right it's now a, that's crazy three-headed lion scorpion death killing I'm sorry to our listeners. You know, you've gotten through you've gotten through an hour and nine minutes of us talking. Oh, he started. We can't calm him down. Um, the other thing that I uh, another another tip that I want to I want to provide to other players um, is that if you've got a card that's worth value, that's worth money, really consider: um, is it a card that you can use? Because if it isn't a card that you can use, you can turn that card into more cards. And I think that that's something I would like to see more players do. Right. Um, take those cards that are worth money that you're not using and turn them into cards that you can use. You can bring them to card stores, you can trade them in, and you can get a percentage of the value from that card back. Often with game stores, you get 50% of the value back, but that's more valuable um, than having a card sit in a collection and not be used, right? So turn that into more cards that you can use. I'm in a drift. All right. Uh, <laughs> Hunter's making fun of me because I recently got a very nice card called Mana Crypt, I'm and Mana I'm not sorry about it. I'm not sorry about it. Oh, God bless me. Oh, my goodness. Um, another rule that I would have is the mulligan. Now, mulligans, you know, maybe you're thinking to yourself, okay, I've got all these, all these amazing cards in my hand, and I only have one land two lands now listener always think to yourself you know am i going to have a good time playing this <laughs> because if you're on let's say only two land and you have a five cost creature a six cost creature maybe you have a world fire in your hand are you realistic to think let's say i can get that mana in time a lot of the times I've seen a lot of people discouraged that their deck is not online, but that is because they could be greedy with not taking the mulligans. So be yep. wise with the mulligans, you know? Maybe it's not worth it. You'll always get that card again. The beauty of Magic is you just play another game. You can keep playing games, and sometimes it's going to happen, and sometimes it's not. My, my last piece of advice to new players um, is don't be afraid to upgrade. Don't be afraid to, to bling out your decks um, never have full art lands been so affordable. Um, Ooh. and upgrading to, to full art lands, upgrading specifically to the full art lands that you like, um, is really great because when your deck, uh, tells the story that you want it to, it makes the gameplay feel that much more satisfying. So, you know, engage with finding the art that you like, finding the version that you like, because when you get to play with the game pieces that you love, you have a better time. So uh, that, that would be my last piece of advice. 
would that be defined as flavor having flavor within your deck i think so i think there's a flavor aspect of it too right like if you're including it in your deck it's because you feel that it helps you tell the story that your deck is telling you know um and uh that's 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 the the basis that i use for selecting what lands go into my favorite decks um is are they pretty and do they help in um evoking the emotion that i want this deck to to convey i have one last little segment before we end it here um kenny what would you tell yourself if you were a new magic player or perhaps would this fall into the category like what's a mistake you would not make again oh that is such a good question what is advice that i would give myself getting into magic the gathering um <laughs> buy singles that's mine <laughs> yeah i i would say oh, i really liked buying packs but i do remember buying a, a bundle buying a, a fat pack of m15 and getting absolutely destroyed and getting yeah. absolutely yeah. nothing out of it and that hurts really badly so yeah. Yeah, like early early playing Magic, I, I would probably say put more emphasis on buying the singles that you want um, yeah. rather than packs. Um, I would also say um, be, be attentive to who, mm. you, to who you choose to teach Magic the Gathering to. Yeah. Um, because... Uh, Magic the Gathering is great for getting to know people, um, but it's not for everyone. And, um, you know, just because Magic is a great game doesn't mean that everyone is going to love playing it. And sometimes people like tabletop games. It doesn't mean that they're going to love Magic. So don't think that Magic is the one-size-fits-all for everybody. Um, but if you get the vibe that someone would enjoy it, go for it. Um, I just actually... Be uh I really love that you said that because, um, you know, a lot of the time, as much as that we're talking on here, of all the inside jokes that we have, if you're introducing the game to someone who doesn't know any of this stuff, that could kind of seem very concerning, actually, and maybe that would turn them off the game. I remember a lot of times when I was still very new or coming into the game and seeing more experienced players say, why are you running this? You should run that. Or why are oh. you playing this? And openly kind of shitting on your deck. Or maybe you're losing in four turns because the deck is so ludicrous and good, then why would I want to play this game? So if you can kind of be gentle and kind of like congratulating them, maybe on a good play or, Hey, that was a good move. Did you see that? Look how many goblins you have some stuff like that. You'd be amazed to see people um, light up when you're kind of explaining and you're very attentive with the game. So I really loved Kenny's point there. Play magic to be invited back is a piece Ooh. of advice I heard. You know, Ooh. play play the game and remember that although the goal of the game is to win, you want to be a gracious loser, which you will yes. be most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> most of the time you will lose magic. So learn to be good at losing. Learn to manage your saltiness. And yes. when you're losing, compliment other people on winning. Because yeah. when you get the spotlight, when you get to be the winning player having compliments come your way feels really good. So you want to make sure that you're offering that when you're on the other side of the table. So, One all right. 
Uh, well, hold on. I got one little one little tidbit left that I'll mention here, is that um, so perhaps at the end of all this, you're probably saying to us, Hunter Kenny. Well, where do I go if I don't have anyone to play magic with? And so, right here in front of me, I have just a couple of ideas. You could go to your local game store, and you could see if they have any events. Now, with that comes the caution of the format that you're playing. Maybe they have a jumpstart night. Maybe they have something called a draft. That could be too advanced. Maybe it's a modern tournament. Know what kind of format you're playing with, because um, both me and Kenny can attest to... Uh, Shout out to Vegas going into a modern Vegas tournament and losing in three turns where, Kenny, I lost probably all my games. Oh, Hunter. Three or four. And I just went back to the hotel because I thought I'm not oh, Hunter. I come in with merfolk. I thought it was good. I get my ass choked oh. into the floor. Hunter. So I I went home. I, I thought this is stupid. This is bullshit. I think what's so sad about that, Hunter, is that like you you kind of did your homework. Like you no. you did have a competitive deck. You did have a deck That's that right, was yeah. good in modern, but was good in modern maybe like five years ago, five, ten years ago. Well, Not yeah, modern, in, modern. <laughs> you know? Phyrexian, that's probably the deck you that were, I, I, kick, I kick myself that I didn't bring that. You were trying to play. You were trying to play. Uh, uh, little little merfolk guys against yep. the evoke elementals, and you were getting really rudely caught up on what modern power level is. I was getting smacked around. So no. So format. yes, be aware of the format that other people are playing, so that way you can be prepared for the games night. Because not all decks work with other decks. I don't know. Do you have any rules, Kenny? On let's say you're a really new player and you're looking for people to play with, what are your what are your advice for those people? Yeah, I would say um, maybe uh, start off with your friend group. See if you've got other friends that you know are are interested in learning something new. Um, familiarize yourself with the basics of Magic: The Gathering. Learn it together with them. That's awesome. Uh, but if you're looking to meet new people, I would absolutely say going to events is where to start. There's not many other tabletop games where you have the opportunity to go and meet people through it. Magic the Gathering has that social infrastructure, and that's really cool. That's really unique. Every week you have the opportunity, potentially, depending on the game stores near you, to go out and sit down and play card games face-to-face -face with other people that you likely haven't met before. That's really cool. So if you want to meet new players... Magic the Gathering is, is well-situated to help you do that. Raymond! Raymond! All right. All right. I think, uh, I, think that's, I think that's the episode. I think we've covered everything. So, so in summary, we've yeah. talked about where Hunter and I came from, our humble beginnings as Magic players. Um, we've talked about the products that we bought that first got us into it, the cards that we first fell in love with. We've talked about um, the modern products. Uh, what we recommend now, Jumpstart, and all the uh, accessories and accoutrements to go along with that. Sleeves, dice, where to meet new players, how to meet new players, advice for playing games with those players. So from us here at the Magic Tavern, we hope that you've gotten something you can use here. Magic the Gathering is a great game. People love the game. You should take that. You should introduce it to new people, and we hope that you have a great time. Uh, thank you very much for, for listening, everybody. I think that concludes our episode of the Magic Tavern. We'll see you again soon. Thanks, everybody. Take care for now.